Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanising workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Burnout, that one word can put a whole lot of fear into the minds of people, particularly in the workplace, not only there, but also outside that that feeling and that feeling of tension, that feeling of stress that you get. In this episode of Simply Practically Human podcast, I'm joined by Therese Lardner, a registered psychologist and leadership coach who shares her own journey through two pretty debilitating bouts of burnout, what she's learnt from that and how she works today in very simple and practical ways with her clients to reduce burnout, to help leaders look for the signs of burnout, to have the conversations that they need to have with their people and really just to get to the point where we can create happy, healthy and productive workplaces. I hope you enjoy the episode. Therese Lardner. How are you, Therese? I'm good. Thank you. Fantastic. Great to have you on board. Hey, before we start, let's just talk a little bit about how we connected. I remember we connected via LinkedIn and then we caught up, I would have been maybe two and a half, three years ago now for coffee and have, I know I've been following your progress, which is uh, which has been amazing. And um, yeah, it's just, again, that whole thing around you find people who are sometimes a bit like-minded and sometimes think a bit differently and you just keep building that connection. So I am um, thrilled to have you on today. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the, I guess, the guts of the topic to talk about burnout, I'm sure my listeners would love to know a little bit about your backstory. So, you know, the human side um, before we get into the into the work stuff. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit about, you know, where you grew up, what influenced you at an early age and, um, you know, what you like to do outside of work. Sure. Um, So I grew up in Brisbane, Australia. I've lived here my whole life um, from a very working class family. So I was the first female in my family to go to grade 12 and I was the first one in my immediate family to go to university. So from one of four siblings, very early on in life, I cut a a different path for myself, um, let's say. Again, from a relatively young age, from about the age of 16 or so, I was fascinated by psychology. I took a subject at school um, where we had to look at Les Mis, actually. We had to read um, the book Les Mis and we studied the psychology of that book and I was I was hooked um, and I was also hooked by this understanding of how we, how we work and how we function at work from a very, very young age. I think seeing the differences between where I came from and where other people were in their lives, I, I couldn't help but be fascinated by that. Um, so I studied psychology straight out of school and I've stayed in the field ever since because it's something that I absolutely adore. Beyond that, I have a husband and two beautiful children. In fact, one of the things that I really um, got stuck into when I first had little bubbers is this concept of 
resilience, um, emotional intelligence for children, but also attachment. Um, so I guess a fun fact about me is when my little ones were very, very small, I was a postnatal fitness instructor. Um, so basically doing baby wearing Zumba. Um, and I was a parent consultant, so I was actually going into parents' homes, teaching them how to use uh, carriers and wraps and slings to help them bond with their babies and build that attachment and resilience from a really young age. That's something else that I'm incredibly passionate about in my in my other life away from work and running a business. <laughs> Fantastic! Look, thanks for sharing that. So, tell us a little bit then about the pathway through your career as well, then, because you know, I noticed you had a few different roles before you've got into running this business of your own. Just share with the listeners a little bit about your background there. Yeah, sure. Um, so, halfway through my master's degree um, in organisational psychology, I started working full time as a consultant. I think I was the first one in my cohort who was either brave enough or silly enough to start working full time while studying full time. <laughs> um, but that really laid me on a journey in terms of the consulting world and organisational development consulting. So, I started out in um, what was then a fairly small Brisbane based consultancy firm and I shifted from a few different firms um, at that stage really focusing in on recruitment and selection because that was really where the market was um, pre-GFC and on leadership development and also um, specialising in psychometric assessment, personality profiling, that type of thing. And I moved through few different roles until I got to the point uh, where the GFC occurred <laughs> and people stopped investing in uh, recruitment and selection at that stage. And I actually moved into the world of career transition. So supporting people who had been made redundant and giving them the tools and strategies to run a really uh, well-functioning strategic job search. Um, I stayed in that field for a little while, but the the pure consulting I don't think ever left me and I really wanted to get back into that world. I then shifted back into a very high-pressure consulting role and that set me on the path towards my own business many years ago because that was the first time I experienced burnout. And I'll, I'm sure we'll get to that soon, but that was uh, that was where it all started for me. Fantastic. And what an amazing segue you've just given me now to, to get into the, the B word, the B topic. And just interesting that um, just recently the World Health Organization came out and said it now recognizes burnout as a as a medical condition. So, you know, when you hear the B word and when others hear this B word as we're we're chatting on this podcast, no doubt it'll be resonating with a lot of people. So maybe if you wouldn't mind, just share a little bit about, you know, your own journey there, if you will, just to to give the listeners a really good understanding of why you are so passionate in helping organisations today in this really important space. Sure. So that time that I mentioned was my first experience of burnout. It's probably the first time I realised that I was burnt out. But looking back on that experience, it's probably the second time that it actually occurred. So the very, very first time that I went through that without realising it was before the GFC and as the market had started to tank and our clients were dropping like flies, the pressure within the organisation was rising to the point where I was doing crazy hours to try and stay on top of things. My manager, although she was probably fairly well-intentioned, was saying things like, if things don't pick up, people's hours will get cut whether they like it or not. And so this kind of 
high pressure, almost threatening environment was being created and I started to become really unwell. So I'm going to do lots of sharing for you now, Mark. I was having lots of digestive issues, which is actually quite common when it comes to burnout um, as well as things like anxiety to the point where I would wake up in the morning at 4 o'clock and be sick until 6 o'clock when I had to get ready to go to work and then I would just rinse and repeat every single day. Mm. Um, the biggest blessing in that role was me being made redundant. So I then had a period of time to job search and recover without actually realising that I had burnt out as part of that process. I just thought I was under pressure. I'd normalised it to the point where everyone must go through this. This must be okay. This must be a similar experience for most people in my field. The second time that I got to that point was actually in between my two kids when I was taking on what was a part-time role. And you can't see my quotation marks because this is a recording um, in the air. I was paid for three days but working well over five days into six days with a small child and a husband who was working fly in, fly out. So the pressure in that role got to the point where, again, I was starting to get very physically unwell, but also mentally unwell. I would go into the toilet and I would cry in my lunch break. Um, No one would know what was going on. But again, the pressure was just so intense and the expectations were so high that even though I was still delivering to an incredibly high level, it still didn't feel like it was ever enough. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. One of the things you said, first of all, thanks for sharing that, because I think that will help listeners to understand that, you know, someone who works in this space has actually been through this twice. And and, and as you said as well, in some respects, tried to normalise it until you couldn't normalise it. What, what do you think it is with us human beings, with your psychology background, that why do we try to just normalise this and say, well, everyone must go through it. It's just a bit of pressure and I need to get on with it. I think it's a few different things. Um, the first is the the personal stories and the derailers that you bring to the table personally. So the personal story that I had around work for many, many years was that work is hard, work is sacrifice. It's not meant to be easy. So therefore, if it's not meant to be easy, it's meant to be really, really hard. I'm meant to be paying a price for going to work. That was the personal story that was in my mind. The other thing that I really didn't come to appreciate until I got further and further into this type of work and specialising in this field is the role that our own personality derailers actually play in our burnout. So, again, for many years, I would have described myself as a very, very strong perfectionist. So everything had to be absolutely spot on and I would bend over backwards to make that happen. I would also have a genuine level of confidence in my capacity to do things. So I would say yes, genuinely thinking that I could do something and then realise that I'd bitten off more than I can chew. So it wasn't as if I was deferring to my boss and to my manager saying, yeah, I'll do it because someone in a higher level told me to. I genuinely believed that I could overcome it because my level of confidence was so high. So those feed into how predisposed you are to burning out. It's interesting that um, point you made then around saying yes. And I guess the flip side of that is I speak to so many people who want to be better at saying no. But there's something going on today that says if I say no and if someone else says yes, well, then what danger, what threat 
will come my way, particularly in, in, in a time where, you know, I was talking to my wife yesterday who went to a baby shower and there were two or three people there who had been made redundant. And so there's that fear there of if I don't. So those things lead into that as well. Let's flip it a little bit to you. I'm sure you're now working with organisations who are quite progressive in this space and, and they're becoming progressive. I know this because we've chatted it because of some of the concepts and things that you're introducing them to. How are the more progressive organisations facing into burnout? What are some of the things that that you're observing out in the workplace? Yeah. So first and foremost, it's a commitment to creating happy, healthy and productive workforces. You cannot tackle exhaustion, burnout, extreme levels of stress without a fundamental commitment to creating a workplace that is sustainable. Otherwise, you're just paying lip service to it. So I think that's what the fantastic organisations out there are doing. They've made a fundamental commitment to making their workforces sustainable. And if you get down to a more detailed look at exactly what those organisations are doing, firstly, it's around creating that positive working culture. So they're engaging their people in a real and authentic way and they're giving people the resources to be able to live and work to their potential. The second thing is around leadership capability. And I know this is an area that you're incredibly passionate about, Mark. So it's helping leaders and managers to have real conversations with their people, building their emotional intelligence and capacity to pick up on the cues of the people around them, building a culture of accountability, of strong communication. So that's in the second area. And the third area is all around supporting individuals to understand their strengths, their derailers, and what they can bring to the table to manage their own experience of work. Because I think what organisations tend to do is look at those three just randomly, not all together. Yeah, I love um, I love commitment, and I love that other the S word sustainable. And um, I'm sure you've seen this as I have is the compliance based you know balance activities, wellness activities where let's get someone in who can come in and tell our people how they should be more balanced, and here's some things they can try, and then we tick a box, and then we we walk away, and 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 leading then into what you talked about the leadership development of helping those leaders and those managers to find the cues and to be able to, what are the things that you should be looking for that potentially in the hustle and bustle of the daily work stuff we miss? But sustainability is a huge one for me. Talk to the listeners about, we're getting now into the guts of what I call the simple and the practical tools and tips. The things that you learnt to use for yourself back when you were going through your own experience or the things that today that you're teaching your clients to do. just And I say simple and practical because we tend to try and make this stuff complex. What, what would be the three things that you would uh, you'd be doing today that's having a significant impact on reducing burnout? Sure. So I'll give you one from each of those three areas, probably the easiest way to tackle it. So from a cultural perspective, so an organisational perspective, one of the simplest things to do and the easiest places to start is to think about what behaviours are being rewarded in our business and ask yourself, what am I hearing and seeing? Because if I'm hearing it and seeing it, it's being rewarded or maintained somehow. Okay. 
So very simple question, which has a lot of questions that sit underneath it, but a fantastic place to start and a very practical way to start. Yeah. From a leadership capability perspective, one of the simplest but most impactful pieces of encouragement that I give leaders and managers is that when you're having real conversations with your team, 99% of the time, you don't have to fix anything. Okay. So unless it's a safety sensitive situation, it's a crisis, you need to pull someone away from a burning platform, literally burning platform, then your job is to sit down with that person, ask them the right questions to help them to come to their own conclusions. It's not to hear what they're saying and find a solution straight away. So again, very simple idea, but can just be absolutely world altering for leaders yeah. who are very very used to fixing things what would be a great question this is a, this is a really important one here what would be a great question to be asking someone if you are a manager that will help them to break through the stress the burnout the you know the insular way they've become about i just can't get out of this yeah so if this sounds really almost too simple but let's not overthink it how are things going for you at the moment Love it. I love it. I know that's very, very simple, but the key is then listening to what they're saying and not just, okay, done, next question. It's, okay, delving into some of that. Yeah. So you're saying that, you know, you've stayed up until midnight, three nights in a row to get a proposal out. Well, thank you for getting that done. I appreciate it. But what, what do we need to talk about now to make sure that that doesn't happen again next time? Yeah, great. Love it. And, and the, delving into it. The simplicity, again, you, you're almost, interestingly, almost apologising for how simple it is. This is the, I guess, the basis behind this podcast is we, we walk away from simplicity. And your third one, what was your third one? In this so that's part? around individual characteristics. Yes. So from an individual perspective, one of the things that I received very little support around, and granted I was I was surrounded by psychologists both times that I burned out, right? You'd think I'd have a bit of support, but it just doesn't happen. So one of the biggest learnings for me was around simplicity and mm-hmm. simplification. So if I understand that there are X number of things on my plate at work, at home, in my social life, and all these things are working together, what actually needs to be there and what is creating completely unnecessary complexity in my life? Mm. And how can I start to simplify things as a way to help me recover or to avoid burnout as opposed to I need to go to the gym, I need to do yoga, I need to do this, I need to do that, and adding more and more and more to my plate. No, no, no. Let's bring it back first. Let's yeah. simplify. And then once I have energy, once I have that inspiration and motivation again, then I can start doing some of those extra things. The, um, the, the thing that comes to mind for me there is the curse of our increasingly growing to-do lists. Yes. And that whole idea that, you know, there'd be a to-do list for you with your consultancy business and then there'd be the mum and the partner and all of the things and then there's you and, you know, there's all these lists and for some reason we continue to just add to those uh, without even stopping for a moment and going, I wonder whether these things are all that important Yeah. as I'm making them at the moment. So it's a really good point you make there around getting to the point from an individual perspective to almost step back from yourself and look in. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's um, terrific. All right, so there's there's some amazing tips. Talk to me a little bit more about this whole idea. You've you've used the word beautifully a few times. I love this simplicity. And and again, with your psychology background, why what is it about human beings that attracts us towards complexity when simplicity the, the answers are I say are right there in front of us, but we sort of look for the complex fix. What, what, what's going on for us silly human beings in that space? Uh, there's a few things, um, but without taking up the entirety of the conversation, just with, <laughs> <laughs> with an answer on this. My observation in working with organisations for about 15 years now and um, coaching folks for about 10 of those as well, is that oftentimes we see complexity as sophistication, Right. So that if something is not complex and difficult to explain and difficult to understand, therefore it must not be sophisticated enough. And if it's not sophisticated enough, therefore it's not intelligent enough. Right. And if it's not intelligent enough, then I must be pretty bloody silly. <laughs> so we're, we're confusing complexity with intelligence and sophistication. And in some respects, perhaps what I'm reading into here is it makes us feel like we're part of the game. Yeah, I've got some value to add here. I've got some worth here. And yeah. if I can just add extra layers on top, on top, on top, then there must be something good in there. Mm, that's a, I quite often get people say to me, your work's really, really simple. And I go, that's right. And I don't, I'm not sure what they want me to say next, but that's right. It is simple. Or is it simple because you're trying to dupe me? Is there something I'm not understanding about that? Mm. Because if it's simple, then I I haven't understood. Yeah. Maybe I'm one of those clever consultants that's trying to play a game with people's minds. Like I said, that there's a whole other conversation, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I really like that. There's, you know, there's been some other people that I've had on the thing just saying about, you know, how we turn the easy and the simple into the hard, and this really helps to go, I guess, a level deeper now to say that it's about, it's about worth. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, um, where can the listeners learn more about the amazing work you do? Because I'm sure there are people listening right now going, I need to speak to that lady right now to because I've got some burnout or my business has got it or, you know, we're right in the middle of something that we just can't seem to get through. Where, where can they find you? Certainly at my website, so www.mindsetcoachconsult.com.au. Um, but you can also track me down on LinkedIn. Um, it's an easy way to find me there and happy to answer questions as they come through. Do you have any, have you got any um, little videos on anything like that, anything that you've done, YouTube or any th- any other places there? I'm up on Vimeo, some videos on there, but I also share some of those videos on my website and on LinkedIn as well. But certainly Vimeo is an easy place to go and digest a whole bunch of stuff at once. Fantastic. So your website, LinkedIn and Vimeo would be great places to find you. Hey, listen, thank you very much for your insights today. This is a massive topic at the moment, and I think it's been a massive topic for a long time. But, you know, with a whole lot of things around uh, wellness, mental health and and all of that, that I'm loving seeing organisations start to step into it. And I think with what you've shared today, there's some great simple and practical tools and tips that individuals, teams, managers and organisations can put into place before they reach out to you to go a bit deeper. So, um, Therese, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Hey there, it's Mark again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Simply Practically Human podcast. 
If you liked it, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends and get them to subscribe. In my next episode, I'll be talking to the amazing Sue Allen Watts, who uh, is on an, a journey of trailblazing in the, the US at the moment, even after running a very successful business here in Australia for over 12 years. She's getting out there, putting herself at a position where she puts her clients in position of vulnerability and risk-taking. So she's going to talk a bit about how to step into that space in our next episode. But until then, keep it simple and keep it practical. And bye for now.